Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 134, Half a Master's Degree. Today's proverb comes from Alexander Pope. I'll read it twice. A little learning is a dangerous thing. Once more. A little learning is a dangerous thing. I have numerous interests in this proverb. My first interest in this proverb is, as with last week's show, A Contemplation of Plato's Republic. A contemplation of that book that I have been caught up in for several months now. My most recent reading of that book unearthed several things I had never seen before. I've read it a dozen times, but it had been a while. And coming back to a classic that you haven't touched in a while is a really fascinating sort of thing. There's all manner of ideas that I had totally forgotten about or which had never made sense to me in any of my previous readings of The Republic. And I think my last reading of The Republic gave me enough to think about for the next year, for the next two years. There's this really fascinating idea that Socrates presents in the middle of The Republic about why you shouldn't teach people logic until they're 30. A lot of people in classical education know this or they've heard it. Everyone's heard that in the Republic or just somewhere in the works of Plato, a scheme 
for educating people is proposed, and it's entirely unlike the scheme that we have in classical schools. And it's not an idea that many people in classical education are really willing to delve in deep into. But it is really fascinating. I'm not saying that we should take Socrates' program for education from the Republic and just airdrop it into our own world. A lot has changed in 2,400 years. Christianity changed the world since the Republic was written. And Christianity has notions of ideas or ideas about education that are not exactly compatible with some of the things that Plato argued. So I'm not arguing, I don't want to suggest that a classical school isn't legitimate unless they're doing exactly what Socrates proposes in the Republic. But the cautions that Socrates delivers to the modern classical Christian educator are worth taking seriously. And in the passage of the Republic where Socrates lays out how just men should be educated. First of all, he proposes a system of education that goes way beyond what we have today. We basically think of education as ending after college, formal education at least. For Socrates, education and education on a formal level just continued for like twice as long. And of course, the education that he was putting forward the scheme that he proposes in the Republic is for monarchs. It's for kings. It's for, for philosopher kings. And that's not what we're educating children for. So I suppose someone could retort that. Well, if you're educating a king, maybe you wait until after they're 30 to teach them logic. But not in our world. In our world, we're not raising kings. We're raising plumbers. We're raising policemen. And you need to start earning a wage well before 30. And so our society is a bit different. Okay. But he still makes some fascinating comments about the scope of education. And he says that you shouldn't teach dialectic. You shouldn't teach philosophy, philosophic inquiry into the truth until the student is nearly 30 years old. Now, his explanation of why accounts for, I think, it accounts for the reason so many kids raised in Christian homes abandon the faith as soon as they get to college. And it's not necessarily because they weren't raised well. Sometimes it is, but not necessarily. So here's what Socrates says. Socrates says that the beliefs that you receive as a child are never explained rationally. The first beliefs your parents give you, bequeath to you, present to you, the most fundamental beliefs that your parents give you when you're a child are not explained rationally, and that's because you are too young to contemplate things from a rational standpoint. So your parents don't explain to you. There's no seven-year-old child out there who is given Anselm's ontological argument 
to prove the existence of God. No kid gets that. What your parents do is they tell you, there's a God. Look at nature. Look at the trees. Look at the sky. Look at the beauty of this animal. Look at the complicated structure of that animal. Let's watch some deep sea documentaries. Wow, are, are whales not amazing? There's a God. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, that that's incorrect, but I am saying that it's not rational, it's not reasonable to point at a whale and say, see, God exists. There's a bit more to it than that. I'm not saying that whales and God are disconnected, but the sort of proof or the way that your parents prove, and I put the word prove in quotes, the way that your parents prove to you there's a God, the way your parents prove to you the viability of the Christian religion when you're a child is not rational because you can't handle a rational explanation. You can't handle a rational explanation of anything when you're young. You simply have to be told what is true. And these are the first beliefs that we accept. It doesn't even matter what the first beliefs are that you accept. Socrates says, first beliefs, the beliefs you give a child are never presented rationally. The first things we come to believe are always irrational or they're irrationally presented. No child comes to believe on rational ground. We believe in God. We are incapable of explaining why up unto a fairly late age. I regularly ask students of mine in ninth, 10th, 11th grade, why do you believe in God? Like my parents raised me to believe in God. That's true. That is why. Asking someone why they believe in God is very different than demanding they prove the existence of God. Why do you believe in God? I was raised in a Christian home. What else is there? There are no five-year-old atheists in Christian homes. So Socrates says, no matter what it is, we are raised irrationally. There's an assertion of the truth. And the way in which those assertions are backed up are never logical because a five-year-old doesn't have a capacity to logically, rationally work through an abstract concept. And yet you must teach a child that God is real and that God loves them. We believe in God before we are capable of reason. Everything essential we believe in, we believe in prior to the ability to reason. Now, what Socrates further claims is that as soon as you become reasonable, as soon as someone teaches you the tools of philosophic inquiry, your first inclination is to knock down everything you see which is unreasonable. As soon as you become reasonable, as soon as you learn rationality, as soon as you learn dialectic, I mean, your first inclination is to walk around knocking everything over that is not supported rationally. And this is one of the reasons why so many kids that go to college turn their backs on everything that they were raised with. 
It's because they learn a kind of dialectical inquiry in college that was never possible back in high school. And there are many reasons why, I genuinely believe this, there are many reasons why it is hard to teach high school students philosophic inquiry. You can present it to them. There's something about living in your parents' house that makes genuine philosophic inquiry very difficult. As soon as you go to college, though, there's a kind of spiritual freedom that comes with physical freedom. This is not necessarily a good thing. It's why men on business trips aren't behaving their best. They never behave their best. Casting off physical shackles tends to cast off spiritual shackles as well. And there are a great many spiritual shackles that are there for your protection. So you go off to college, you are physically liberated, you feel spiritually liberated. And genuine philosophic inquiry, let's pursue the truth, let the chips fall where they may, that becomes a real possibility. And you start to realize that you never had the ability to make genuine inquiries, genuine dialectical inquiries, let the chips fall where they may, let's follow this a thread of truth. It doesn't matter whether the religious sweater unravels. That was never possible before. So when should dialectical training begin? Socrates says 30. Interesting. Interesting that dialectical training begins at the age of 30, which is the point also within Socrates' society when you have had children. Do not teach people to reason until they are in charge of irrational beings. As soon as you've got some irrational beings of your own, you are now qualified to learn reason. And so there's a way in which your knowledge, your learning, is made safe through experience and responsibility. Experience and responsibility make learning safe or safer. So why is a little learning a dangerous thing? A little learning is always dangerous, but it's dangerous in different ways, depending on the nature of the learning. I think it depends on what exactly the initial learning is. A little learning is a dangerous thing, and I'm, I'm going to take the reference, Pope's reference to a little learning, to mean this sudden burst of information into an area where there had only been ignorance before. And in this way, it's possible for a man to have a little learning at the age of 10, at the age of 20, at the age of 30. There's no point in life where in some previously unknown sphere of the human experience cannot suddenly become illuminated through a little bit of data. Now, if that initial burst of learning is data, and data is not the only kind of learning there is, but if the initial burst of learning is data, it's dangerous because we know that the people in power over us have had that data for much longer. 
And we're immediately discontent that they have done anything all that valuable with it. When your initial burst of learning is data, you overplay the importance of that data. You've got the most important data. This is what you believe. Or maybe the first burst of data always seems like it's the most important. And now that you're armed with a few facts, you're basically as smart as the people who have had those facts for years. A little learning is a dangerous thing, and the depth of that danger depends on not only what the learning is, but where the learning came from. Were you judged worthy of this learning by gatekeepers? If so, the learning is still dangerous, but it's probably not all that dangerous. There is a difference between a 10-year-old boy whose parents determine it's time to tell him what sex is. And they sit him down and they say, all right, here it is. Here's what you've been asking about. And you just unfold the raw data for the child. That is a dangerous moment. A little learning about sex. Dangerous thing. Far less dangerous if your parents unfold that for you than if you steal that knowledge from a world book encyclopedia or a Wikipedia article. Or if the information is illicitly given to you by some kid named Shane at school. When no one knows what you know, what you know is worth far more. It's heavier. It's heavier than knowledge that you alone have. When your initial burst of learning is not data, though, it's probably theory. I'm going to say that, that the initial burst of learning is either data, like a few facts, or it's theory. And theory is even more dangerous than data. The initial burst of theoretical knowledge, far more dangerous than the initial burst of factual knowledge, data-oriented knowledge. Let's say that everyone at a certain company has what, what we all just refer to as a permanent file, a folder in a metal filing cabinet where all the bureaucratic ephemera of a modern job is stored. If some employee, like an underling, some minion, gets a hold of his boss's permanent file, he could become a hazard to his entire company and himself with just what he knows. The sort of danger, uh, the sort of danger implied by that kind of learning is very different, though, than the dangerous learning of a young man who is halfway through a master's degree. What the fellow who's halfway through a master's degree has is not data. It's theory. And the danger of data is nothing compared with the danger of theory. And this is because people who have a little data know they're dangerous and they revel in it. The employee who steals his boss's secret file and learns a little bit about his boss's history at the company and knows that there have been complaints about this and you were written up for that and 
you're my boss's boss got on my boss's case for something. The employee who knows all that, dangerous. But they know they're dangerous. They know that they've got this vicious power, this leverage that they can get what they want with. People who have a little theory don't know how dangerous they are. And so, as C.S. Lewis points out in his essay, The Humanitarian Theory of Punishment, inexperienced people with a couple of theories will torture you and tell themselves that they're helping. Inexperienced people with theories will wreck a thing and convince themselves the whole time that everything's about to turn around. People with theories are always inexperienced. Experienced people don't have theories. Theories account for what you don't know. Experienced people don't have theories then. Experienced people don't have theories, they have memories. And memories are more reliable than theories. In a bygone world, experienced people taught inexperienced people. By which I mean fathers taught sons, masters taught apprentices. In an agrarian world, there's no such thing as theories. Nobody needs a theory in an agrarian world. In a world where knowledge has been handed down for generations, there's no theories. I would say also that in a world of apprenticeship, that in a a cultural situation where apprenticeship is the way in which knowledge is passed down, there's no theories. You just watch someone who knows what they're doing do what they know how to do. Today, though, the child is father of the man. The modern world is predicated on inexperienced people telling experienced people how to live, how to think, and how to do their jobs. I imagine that anyone over the age of 35 or 40 has found themselves in this position before. Someone with less experience than you telling you how to do your job. Maybe even telling you how to be a parent. How to be a good Christian. The problem wasn't that they knew less than you. You would never frame it that way. It's that they had less experience than you did, which meant they didn't have as much skin in the game. Experienced people have skin in the game which teaches prudence and productivity in a way that inexperienced people who have less riding on a job will always suffer from. Inexperienced people tell experienced people how to do their jobs, and experienced people respond, that doesn't work. And do you know what? Scour your memory. When you have been told how to do your job by someone who knows less than you, and you respond, that doesn't work, or that won't work, what is the reply? The reply is normally but it's right. There's a rightness or aptness to the sort of 
advice or commands given by inexperienced people. Whereas experienced people know that the thing has to stay afloat and they know what has historically kept the thing afloat. And they're unimpressed by theories of rightness against the effectiveness of experience. Inexperienced men know how men ought to be. Experienced men know how men are. Inexperienced men trust human beings. Experienced men trust human nature. Experienced men trust men to behave as they've always behaved before. Inexperienced men believe someone because they are optimistic and hopeful. The inexperienced man believes the time for alarm has not yet come. The experienced man is the sound of the alarm, which the inexperienced man cannot hear. The inexperienced man finds common sense offensive and cruel. The experienced man knows that the alternatives to common sense are even more cruel. The experienced man is unimpressed by a few exceptions to the rules. Inexperienced men tend to fixate on exceptions, though. This is why 7th and 8th graders always fixate on exceptions. The hypothetical scenarios that inexperienced people put forward to prove their ideas are always bizarre. <laughs> the hypothetical scenarios that experienced people put forward are drawn from so much... The only thing that experienced people change when they put forward hypothetical scenarios are the names of the people involved. <laughs> That's it. The experienced person's like, so hypothetically, what if this happens? And they just describe something that happened. But they change the names to protect the innocent or the guilty. That's the difference between the hypothetical scenarios of the experience and the inexperienced. The inexperienced man speaks of problems, and problems have answers. The experienced man speaks of temptations. Temptations never go away. Experienced people tend to be more cynical than inexperienced people. And the experienced man is full of many stories. But the experienced man also knows that a cautionary tale has never prevented anyone from making a bad decision. And so for this reason, the experienced man is not trying to learn from history so that he doesn't make the same mistakes that have been made before. The experienced man is trying to learn how to make the mistakes that have been made before. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. 
One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.